I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Someone suggested we uh, do like ASMR videos. Oh, yeah? But I don't know what we would. What kind of noises do you want to make? Yeah, I don't know what kind of noises we would make. I feel like I'd laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would want to make weird animal slash backup singer noises. Maybe when I read the plot synopsis for a secret film, I'll do it close to the mic with a soft voice <laughs> and see how that sounds. A soft voice with a velvet glove. With a velvet glove. Uh, do you, are you aware this is, this will be our 50th five zero podcast? I was, I, I was not aware, but that is uh, excellent, excellent news. How do you feel about that? Fine. I mean, how, <laughs> do, you feel, how do you feel Fine. about that? Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, that's 50 weeks. That's almost a year. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like a year. Of all this wonderful, nonsensical talking. Yep. Well, let's get Drag Race over with because I honestly don't have much to say. Um, uh, mainly because I wasn't fully paying attention to the episode. <laughs> but we have to uh, at least run through it. Uh, so it was... RuPaul's Drag Race season 14, episode 13. <laughs> Damn, is that the most already? Jeez, oh, I don't know. But it was the roast of Ross Matthews. Just what we needed. Just what we needed. Uh, it was okay. The people who we thought would have trouble had trouble, which were Deja Sky. I was surprised that... She had so much trouble. And Georges, of course. We knew Georges would have trouble. Yeah. Georges was like freaking out from the minute it was announced mm -hmm. that he would have to be funny. Do you recall who the top two are? Or were? Uh, Bosco and... Uh, Lady Camden? Camden. Yeah. Bosco did an excellent job. Oh, I agree. Yeah, they were the opener and closer. That's right. That's right. Oh, so the mini challenge was they had to paint like large portraits like they were split up into two teams mm -hmm. and they had to uh, paint the each team had to paint a portrait of either Dolly Parton or RuPaul and I was surprised at some of the choices these queens made <laughs> including Deja Sky but I was also thinking a person can be good at doing makeup and not be good at painting so I was surprised that they were pretty good there were just some weird choices made. But anyway, based on who won the mini challenge, they let half of the queens pick the order in which they'll roast Ross, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of stupid. And then they ended up letting everyone sort of take the position they wanted because they didn't want anyone to complain. So it just worked out that everyone had the position they preferred. Uh, Bosco won. Mm -hmm. Which was nice because he had done so poorly the previous two episodes. Well, that's the th no, see, I disagree with that consensus. I, I don't think he'd done poorly in either of those. I think they were making a point. Sure. So in this go-round, there's a bottom three. It's Diabetti, Deja Sky, and Georges. Mm -hmm. And RuPaul says, all three of you are going to lip-sync, and there will only be one winner. They lip sync to Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. I don't know who Olivia Rodrigo is. Oh, I forgot to mention last night uh, the Grammys happened. They did, yeah. And when I tell you I couldn't care less. Olivia Rodrigo was there. 
She won, I think, like best new artist. Oh yeah, I couldn't tell you who that person is or what kind of. She music. has some documentary or some series on Disney Plus or something. Oh well, yeah. Well, I, I feel very disconnected to the Grammys because I don't really know new music, so it's kind of like there's no point watching it. But um, they lip sync, and Deja Sky and Georgia get sent home. So that's that. No more. Uh, chocolate bars or golden tickets to look forward to. But anyway, yeah, I wasn't very inspired by this episode. I think I'm just kind of tired. Well, it almost feels like the people from the first few uh, episodes of the season, it feels like a different season entirely. Yeah, because we've, yeah, that's if, a good point. If you think back to uh, the first couple of people that went home. Who were eliminated. Like, I kind of want them back now yeah, to like, switch things. You know, that's a good point. I think because we've spent so much time with this batch of people, I'm just kind of like, I'm not excited about any of them. Like they could, this almost feels like a, like a sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I do st- think there are still kind of four pretty strong contenders. Uh, I'm just waiting for Diabetes to go home. Oh, oh, how mad will you be if she's top four well, or top can- three? Candy Muse is top three. So I guess who quality's out the door. Anyway, let's move on. So you had written down something about careers, Will Smith, Bruce Willis. Oh, if you wanted to talk about either of those subjects, because the Will Smith thing is still, you know, ongoing. He resigned from the Academy. And now that we've had a little distance, because we, we were talking about that right after it happened. Uh, my opinion's the same, is that I think Chris Rock was out of line for saying what he said to... Well, they're both out of line. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, I think Will Smith slapping this man who you know wasn't in self-defense is just wrong like there's no excuse for walking up to someone and just slapping them because they said something you didn't like i mean sticks and stones bro i agree and you know i don't think he should have been allowed to stay i think he should have left right because then it was reported that he was asked to leave and he wouldn't but then chris rock didn't want to press charges the police were there but nothing happened yeah i I mean and you know everybody's going on about the toxic masculinity of it all. And it's like, you know, but you still had this, this, uh, grown man crying on stage. I think he had meant, he was trying in his limited way to make amends with that speech. Um, I, I think, I think I brought, wanted to bring it up cause I've, I've been so, uh, maybe irritated about, uh, the discourse that's gone on about it. Well, can I read you what lady bunny wrote and see what you think? Okay. Uh, so, she starts a post with a quote from the New York Times saying, you shouldn't have to take a joke. And Lady Bunny says, yes, you should, especially when you're at a televised event hosted by comedians, you and your wife are celebrities, most of whom know they're going to be the butt of jokes, and you're nominated for a big award that night. Don't like jokes? Then only attend events for the PC so that your man isn't forced to attack anyone. Chris's joke wasn't rough at all, and sorry, Jada, not everyone is a fan of or follows whatever show podcast you whine about your alopecia on, or the junk mags that want us to feel sorry for very rich and beautiful celebs' minor health problems, which could easily be disguised with wigs or extensions. 
People are literally claiming it's ableist to make fun of her alopecia as if it's a medical disability. Even if you didn't know she had it, like Chris Rock, me and many others, I thought she just liked her hair short. It suits her, and a mild joke about a very wealthy black female star's hair length is not punching down. It's so tame. It's not like Chris said, the only lead role the, <laughs> the only lead role a bald-headed bitch like you could get is G.I. Jane 2. Bald guys are made fun of all the time, this despite some of them being sensitive towards their condition. Um, you know, I don't think that Chris making fun of her was punching down at all. I think I think not, it was rude. It was rude, and then I think like if you're gonna disrespect someone's family, you know, if you disrespect someone who I care about, then I'm gonna have an issue with you. Mm-hmm. Am I going to hit you? No. I, yeah, there was a much different way to handle this, a, a much smarter way. Um, but I think this idea of like people shouldn't have to take jokes I, I think yeah as a culture we're so quick to make fun of people I do it all the time I talk crazy all the time well there's a difference between that and bullying I, I think and here's where we get into what is the most important overall is context you know because I, I remember I don't know I don't remember if it was the New York Times or something or going on about Dave Chappelle like context doesn't matter in, in his jokes about the trans community it's like well it does it really does. Um, and, and we all have to take into consideration a certain amount of context and meet people where they're at. But yeah, I, you know, I, I think where I, I, my brain keeps going to uh, what Pedro Almodovar had published, his diary uh, <clears throat> of his night at the Oscars and comparing Will Smith's uh, speech to that of a cult leader and uh, in, in going on and on about how he brings up the devil. It's like, well, this is a Christian black man that is trying to, uh, is trying, is looking for sympathy from his community, uh, from, uh, you know, what's typically a very religious community. I, I, I don't think, it, it's just funny to, or alarming to hear people uh, weighing in that don't have a context about maybe you know the culture he's trying to speak to even i would have been more satisfied if will smith got up there when he grabbed his award and apologized to the academy mm-hmm. apologized to the viewing audience and the williams, perhaps the williams family yeah certainly the williams family and perhaps even chris rock and then afterwards kept it real like eliminate all the other bullshit i agree except the award and then afterwards you know when he resigned just say listen I'm not like I'm a grown ass man sitting right here with my wife and this man, other grown ass man in front of me talk crazy about my wife again. Mm-hmm. So I did what I felt like I needed to do. I would respect that. Sure. But for him to make it about like you've been a celebrity for 30 plus years. You've been you've endured negative comments. You know, the fact that y'all, you know, your wife has this red table talk show and uh, divulges all these intimate details about her life with you and has left you open for a lot of criticism. The whole, um, what's the, the, the entanglement, the entanglement thing. It's like, this man is not new to having his relationship, his life, his career scrutinized. So the fact that he thought that that was an appropriate moment to do something about it. it to me, seems like he is unstable. I mean, well, I, that must be like, are you new? Why are yeah. You <laughs> I'm more concerned that he thought that was appropriate, but I don't know. I really don't. Anyway, I, I just, it's funny to hear people weigh in. And, I, you know, I also think it's alarming to the disrespect to, that I've seen against Jada that I, I, 
think is alarming as well from people that well every every man can sleep with Jada and blah 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 like be criticizing yeah, all their the names about that yeah I, I think that's it's re- all disrespectful but I don't think that Chris Rock you know he's a comedian he told a bad joke in a context that was really in poor taste mm-hmm. and he just wasn't that funny about it mm-hmm. the joke uh, Lady Bunny just made was more funny than whatever Chris Rock said so. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where he really fucked up. But moving on to Bruce Willis. So Bruce Willis was officially diagnosed with aphasia. I was reading that for 2022, the Razzies had created a a category, like the worst Bruce Willis film of 20... Well, don't you remember me commenting a couple weeks ago that like Bruce Willis has already had five movie releases in 2022? Right, and then initially they had said, the Razzies, that like, oh, well that explains why he's been in so many bad movies because of his medical condition. And then, of course, there was a backlash because that's in such poor taste. Mm -hmm. So then they uh, apologized and decided to um, do away with that award. So it's sad. It's sad. But... Well, it just makes me feel like he was probably... Somebody was taking advantage of him a little bit, I feel. How do you mean? To all of these to sign on to all of these films and th- there was all this uh, before he would shoot they would whittle down like pages and pages of dialogue so he'd barely have anything to say it sounds like there were many episodes where he wasn't aware where he, where he was or what he was doing oh well that would make sense because why did he need to do all these movies these these Z grade films I think it's like 20 some productions between last year and this year like that's alarming well, we don't know what his money situation was, and then maybe, like... I don't know. It, it's just interesting. You know, he used to bathe in Avion, so maybe he spent all his money on Avion. I don't know. <laughs> Remember that was the rumor about he and Demi Moore? Isn't that a rumor about Kim Basinger, too? Was it a rumor about them? I thought it was Kim Basinger, but maybe... Some crazy bullshit. But I don't know. The, the, I don't know people's people money, but I do think it's sad that this person's medical condition sort of... He, he was quietly forced into taking his career down a road that people are making light of but if in fact he took these roles because that's all he could manage with his condition then again context makes it it's sad and of course you know bruce willis is you know whenever people ask me who my first crush was like celebrity crush i always blank because my memory is crap but bruce willis from um from moonlighting from moonlighting that era watching with my mom that would be my first crush. and i think your titillation at seeing a sequence in color of night well, that, that, I don't, I, I wasn't titillated. I was just fascinated because I, you know, as a kid or teenager, hadn't seen many penises besides my own. So I, I think it was just more curiosity, mm-hmm. but I think seeing him in Moonlighting and just really liking the way this person interacted with the other main character. Anyway, uh, I hope he, uh, his condition doesn't get. Yes, of course. Dev- doesn't become devastational, as yeah. Reby Jackson would say. Oh, Reby. Moving on. Do you know who Ashley Tisdale is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, uh, what was that TV show? High School Musical. High School Musical. The, the movies. And I don't know if there was a TV show. Or was High School Musical 3, uh... I don't... Made for TV? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I, but I know who she is, and I know she ended up getting a nose job at some point. That was big news. She's in some horror movie, too. Anyway, she was re- recently featured in Architectural Digest, her and her husband's home, and they made headlines because during this... Um, tour of their home she admitted that you know in prep 
preparing for this photo shoot, you know, they, they want everything to be perfect. And it's this new hall that they've renovated, I guess. And they have a room that's like a sitting room or study library with a bunch of bookshelves. And they had no books in them. So mm -hmm. she says in this interview, like, oh, I told my husband, you need to go to the bookstore and buy 400 books. Oh, my God. So they just filled this bookshelf with books that mean nothing. So I thought I would bring that up because I, I would love to know what you think about that. Uh, like, what a waste. Uh, what an utter... Yeah, just... Uh, I, I can't say I'm surprised. It's You know, she's along the lines of somebody like Jessica Alba to me. It's just a vapid idiot. Uh, although, you know, Jessica Alba, of course, has her own business. But I'm, I'm that's in reference to, you know, her speaking about how screenwriters are useless. And it's like, well, dummy, someone had to write this story. Okay, girl. But, uh, yeah, uh, to me, that's um, a travesty. Then... Then there's a backlash, um, of course, after this came out. And then she tried to respond by saying that she does like to read. And then, of course, they asked, well, what do you like to read? Sarah Palin. No, not even. She just says self-help books. I feel like anyone who actually doesn't read, they always say that. They always say self-help books. Like, <laughs> that's not reading. <laughs> that's not reading. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm sure people won't agree with me, but I, 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 I know it's not. It's a, I mean, I'm, I'm very open about not being that literate, so I'm not making fun of it. Like I'm very well read, but it's whenever I hear people say like, oh, I like to read self-help books, bullshit. Well, that means you probably read like a magazine article about how to get better sleep. Or... How much help do you need? And maybe that's a sign you should see a therapist. And in that help, wouldn't it make sense that you would sort of be more involved in like literature whatever anyway moving on so i was reading that todrick hall um is being sued again again for something else because that he recently dropped a video on youtube with like g giving a tour of his home mm -hmm. which is interesting because you know i watched that show um on that youtube channel chasing reality yes and there's the one called I'm, chasing la i'm pre i'm privy to some of those yes yeah you've watched me watch some of them so, um, before Todrick dropped this video with his house, we've seen him make music, like he has a music video with Brandy. That oh they, yeah. Mm -hmm. And part of that shot in his home. And then he is featured in one episode of Chasing LA because one of the cast members has worked with him and invites him over to sort of mentor him. So we've had glimpses of his home, which is obviously very beautiful. It's a, it's a very modern single family residence in Sherman Oaks. It, it, it looks like your standard LA, like new construction mansion, mm -hmm. but he's being sued because he, he made this big video that has lots of views about like buying his dream home. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he never thought he'd be able to buy his dream home. Mm -hmm. Well, guess who's getting sued because they are two months behind on rent. He did not buy this home. He rented this home. He's paying $30,000 a month in rent. $30,000? And he's, he's being sued for 60000 because he's 60 days behind on this rent. Is, you know, this is what's wrong with, well, one, you can't believe anything anybody says, uh, especially in L.A., about their lives. But, uh, wow. That's immediately what I thought. Having grown up in L.A. and living here now for a period of time, it just I, I don't believe what anyone tells me. Yeah, you I can't, don't believe what you, anyone you, tells you can't. me. You can't. That car they're driving, the home they live in. It's just like people try really hard. And granted, Todrick Hall is very talented of course. and successful. I agree. And if he can afford $30,000 a month in rent, he can obviously afford a home. Yeah, why so, can't you buy a house? So then? it's not so much that, oh, he can't afford a home. It's more like, why are you lying? And I know that he might spin it like, well, I pay for it. So I, like, I'm considering it that I bought it. And to be fair, 
you know, my car sitting in that garage is leased. Mm -hmm. But if someone asked me, I would say like, oh, I bought this car six months ago. But I think commonly, you know, saying that you bought a car versus leasing it, I think is sort of interchangeable. Because it's not like I'm driving a Bentley, I'm driving a Volvo. So so even if I did buy it, it's not like I spent $100,000 on this car. But a home and then making a video about how you bought your dream home, I feel like it's kind of embarrassing in light of the whole celebrity big brother thing and then the fact that he's been known to not pay some of his talent. Mm -hmm. Wow. Moving on. Films released we didn't cover. There's something called The Rosemaker. Yes, which I'd hoped we would get to. Obviously, we didn't. A sophomore film by a French filmmaker named Pierre Pinel. Uh, and I wanted to see it because it stars a French woman uh, I really like, Catherine Fro, uh, who's usually a comedian. Uh, she won a Caesar recently in 2015 for play- in Marguerite, which is kind of the real story behind Florence Foster Jenkins, which starred Meryl Streep. Like, they're dealing with the history of the same woman, I believe. Uh, anyway, Marguerite is a much better film and performance. But... Uh, you know, she's acted with everybody. Uh, she's been in films since the 80s. Uh, just usually uh, very funny, but she plays a, a, a Rosarian uh, on her last legs. And it's a very predictable film. If you like her, I, of course, recommend it, but I didn't love it. <laughs> Another film, Memoria. I hope we'll get the, the, to this too, because I'd be very curious to see what you think. I don't think you've seen it in a pitch upon where whereas the Cole film, a.k.a. Ty Joe, uh, this was his last film that premiered in Cannes last year with Tilda Swinton. Uh, it won, he tied for Best Director. Uh, it's maybe his most ambitious film. Um, I don't know. It'd, it'd be very. It, it, it's kind of a strange sci-fi, somber sci-fi art house film. Uh, it also notably will not ever be released uh, uh, for home entertainment. It's just going to travel theatrically forever. <laughs> Uh, but yeah moving on to movies we watched for fun we watched the riff tracks of the most dangerous game which is the 1932 which which I own because it's a criterion film Uh, I don't think I had ever seen it but there is a remake right Yes, it's a story that's been made several times. Technically, The Hunt is a remake of the most dangerous so it's a familiar storyline of like or what's the one with um, Ice-T or even like, I mean, I feel like Hostel or a lot of these are aping off of this idea mm-hmm. of like wealthy people hunting humans, other humans who they could have the upper hand <laughs> on. But yeah, I thought it was funny. The main guy who's like the killer is very, uh, what's that character or what's that actor's name? Uh, the, they jo- the Rift Tracks was joking about how they couldn't get Vincent Price. Yeah. Uh, I'm forgetting, but it's the notable stars are Joel McRae and uh, Faye Ray of King Kong fame. Anyway, it was a fun watch. Uh, something called The Hawk. Yeah, uh, we we reviewed Bull, uh, which co-stars a noted Scottish uh, character actor named David Heyman, and he directed a trio of films in the 90s, and one of them stars Helen Mirren called The Hawk. Oh, yes, I saw you watching that. From 1993, where she believes her husband is this man that's kind of like the Yorkshire Ripper. Uh, it was very entertaining. I liked it a lot. Something called the Wilmer Eight. Yes, um, I'm going to talk about this and Battered on the list. Okay. Because uh, I'm still working through those Lee Grant documentaries available on Movie. I'm still wanting you to watch uh, What Sex Am I before it expires. But 
the Wilmar 8 was her first documentary, and it's showcasing a group of women in late 70s Wilmar, Minnesota, uh, who went on strike against uh, the bank they worked for for two years, protested every day through 30 below weather. Um, you know, and, and I'm from Minnesota, so it, it was kind of interesting <laughs> to see all, to see these women fighting for their rights. Um, and then also Battered, which she directed in 1989, which um, is about uh, domestic abuse faced by women. Uh, it's very similar in tone uh, and, and scope to her earlier documentary, Why Women Kill, which I liked a little more because th that felt a little more heavy hitting. Uh, but yeah, it's obviously worth a watch. I finally watched The Lost Boys. It took several attempts over the course of like three weeks, mm -hmm. but not because um, I wasn't interested. It's just we were watching it like at night in bed mm -hmm. and I only last like five minutes in bed before I fall asleep. But um, what do I think about it? It feels very 80s. Oh yeah, 87. The main things that come to mind is Corey Haim. Is that his name? The younger one, yeah. No, who's the one who Corey works? Feldman. Corey Feldman is doing a voice mm -hmm. where he sounds like this. He's talking super deep, man. Like Batman. Yeah, come on, let's hunt this vampire. I was that was so distra I don't know who told him to he, do that. He, he was ruinous, yes. Um, it was fun seeing Diana Weist because I do like her. Yeah, I love her. Uh, I think the story's kind of fun. Um, I do like who's the main guy? A uh, Christian Slater? No. Jason Patrick. No. Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. The main vampire. For some reason, I find him attractive. I'm not sure why. Um, not now. I don't know what he looks like now. Um, and then Jason Patrick is obviously very handsome. Yeah, and you know who his dad was. They both have famous fathers. Well, I know Kiefer Sutherland's dad is famous. But um, who's Jason Patrick's dad? Jason Miller, the exorcist from The Exorcist. Oh. Um, yeah, no. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And you know, and we, you saw him in Speed 2 Cruise Control. He's in Speed 2 Cruise Control. And Sleepers, that, um, that pedophilia film from the late 90s that had that all-star cast, including Brad Pitt. Uh, Moving on, Suddenly in the Dark. Uh, yes, I've owned, this was put on Blu-ray several years ago. Uh, it's a South Korean film from 1981, uh, which I think MondoVision put it out. Uh, and it looks like it would be batshit crazy. Uh, as they say, but it wasn't. It, it it does get that way towards the end, but it came out at a time when um, there were uh, there was a lax in censorship rules uh, in South Korean cinema. Uh, it's about this housewife who's going crazy because she thinks her husband is sleeping with this young woman that they bring in as a housemaid, which is a very familiar uh, South Korean narrative, uh, generationally, really. Uh, and this girl carries around a doll, which it seems like her soul is caught up in. Uh, so you, it's it's very predictable, but uh, a very interesting lead performance. I love how 1980s it feels. Lastly, our flag means death. Yeah, I watched a few episodes of this, the Taika Waititi. It's on HBO Max. Oh. Uh, this was a lot of fun uh, about a group of bumbling pirates. Uh, excellent cast. Taika Waititi shows up himself as Blackbeard. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Jones as... Um, What's her name? Spanish Joan? Spanish I didn't Joan. watch any of them. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think you would like it. All right, moving on to projects of interest. Something called a Demon House. Yeah, you know about this. Uh, Lee Daniels has, and Netflix have made up with Monique. Uh, she, Octavia Spencer exited a project and Monique has uh, joined it. Oh, well, of course. I sent I'll, you the headline about that. I'll, uh, 
I'll be excited to watch that. Next is something called Lust. Uh, yes, Bulgarian filmmaker Relitsa Petrova, who won Locarno, I think in 2016, for an interesting film called Godless. Uh, she's finally announced her sophomore feature it's called Lust. I don't know anything about it, but she's collecting funding, and uh, I think it should be interesting. Is Ryan Murphy doing season two of Feud? Finally. And who will be the two? Uh, Naomi Watts is playing Babe Paley, uh, who, you know, Sigourney Weaver played in Infamous, that socialite. Uh, RuPaul, remember that pink dress that Sh uh, Shea win or wears in um, All Stars? That beautiful pink okay. uh, fairy tale looking dress, and RuPaul said she looked like Babe Paley. She was this fashionista. Uh, it, that had a fall, a huge falling out with Truman Capote uh, because I think it's his last novel. He was, he kind of run out of inspiration. He started writing real life events from all his uh, friends' lives, and then of course they were all everybody knew. Who were the two people feuding? Truman Capote and Babe Haley. Oh, okay. It wasn't clear to me. <laughs> well, you're not. Well, you're not I am listening to you, but oh, okay. you didn't say. I asked who were the two, and you started talking about this lady with. Well, the there's a setup because I don't think you know who she is. So, okay, I actually do know who those people are. And Naomi Watts. Because she's in a movie. There's a, there's a movie where she's a character in the movie. Infamous, starring Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I am familiar. Okay. Okay. Oh, shit. I just lost my... Uh... Okay, something untitled Ethan Cohen. There's an Ethan... You know, so the Cohen brothers forever directed movies together, and they've, they disbanded, I guess, because Joel Cohen directed uh, his first solo feature last year, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, Ethan Cohen has announced that he's directing a project that's a riff on Russ Myers. That's all I know about it, but you know, Russ Myers, uh, you know, is that exploitation filmmaker because I am a big fan of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Uh, so that should be fun. Uh, Aurora Bigelow? Uh, you don't have to read the name. That's from my recollection. Uh, Catherine Bigelow oh, okay. uh, is directing her first movie since Detroit. Uh, I actually don't remember. I don't recall any of the details about that, but she announced a new project called Aurora. Project Artemis. Uh, Jason Bateman is directing uh, this very high-profile project starring ScarJo and Chris Evans. And then Eddie Murphy is going to be playing George Clinton. Yes. I don't... Did you know who George Clinton was? Yeah. Because I thought we were watching something and you didn't know who he was. I don't remember that. Oh. Well, that'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, there's no director. So I think it's still being written or something. But uh, yeah. he's an interesting character. I mean, from my childhood, like I can clearly recall like George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelic and their music. And then he, George Clinton, has a very distinct look. So it'll be fun to see how um, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, because you know that he character. didn't really look like Rudy Ray Moore when he played him in Dolomite. Uh, I mean, not really. No, he didn't, but I don't think he needed to, because he got the sort of like schlubby, and then a very sort of sweet, affable he, he, guy. He had the vibe down. Yeah. And then George Clinton is also kind of like, because he's not an in shape man, you know, from what I remember him in the eighties and nineties. So and was older. So I think Eddie Murphy could do a good job. And then red right hand. Yeah, which I'm not that excited about, but <laughs> I was. Um, do you remember the Mel Gibson Santa movie, Fat Man? Yes. Which I think I wanted to he's like, married to a black woman? Yeah. Um, what's her name from Secrets and Lies? Uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, which is a in really interesting pairing. Um, I wanted to like that more than I did. Anyway, that was directed by Ian and Esham Nelms, and they are doing a new project called Red Right Hand. Uh, Orlando Bloom and Annie McDowell are attached. 
All right, so there is an entry in the obituary section, an actor named Estelle Harris. Yeah. Who, well, you never really watched Seinfeld, but she played no. George, famously George Costanza's mother, who had a very distinct voice. Okay. Um, she's done a ton of stuff, but her other major credit is voicing Mrs. Potato Head in Toy Story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she has a very distinct, very fun voice. Uh, do we know how old she was? I think she was, was she 93? Okay, I mean, so she lived a long life. Natural causes, yeah. Okay, so for this week's secret movie... Uh, we have two because the one I selected was a film you received a while ago from Arrow? No, um, Severin Films. Severin Films. It's a film called Siege. Yep, a 1983 Canucksploitation film. But I didn't, uh, I watched it. I didn't find it super interesting, but we did receive several comments asking us to talk about something else so i'm combining the two but first we'll talk about siege and i'll go ahead and read the plot synopsis okay and i'll read it close to the microphone in my version of a soothing voice watch mm -hmm. me fuck it up <clears throat> a fascist group who call themselves new order want to set some new rules in town while the police in halifax nova scotia are on strike they try to scare the patrons of a gay bar, but by accident, the owner of the establishment is killed, and the leader of the bullies then decides to execute all witnesses. One man escapes and takes refuge in an isolated block of flats. The young tenants in the house refuse to hand over the survivor, and the bullies then decide to kill all the residents in the house. This turns out to be not so easy when the young people in the house barricade their apartments and set up traps and arm themselves in order to fight back. Okay. That's mm. the basic story, except mm. it ends with, mm, that was a quality moment. Mm, give me a towel, I'm moist. Because <laughs> you just took a shower. Um, the, that's the basic story. The, the ending is that these uh, young people in the house are successfully able to like kill all of the bad guys chasing them. Yes. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have much to say at all about this movie, except that when we tried to watch it, initially when you received it that was like three months ago so, it was when we moved into this house or did you before, no we had it before oh, i got this in july man oh so you you know of course nick gets so many movies that i and i'm not interested in most of them because i haven't heard of them but we put this one on one night and i thought it was going to be total like trash mm -hmm. but then the whole like the opening scene is like this hate crime occurring in a gay bar mm -hmm. so that obviously piqued my interest but then uh, we decided to revisit it. And unfortunately for me, nothing about it really caught my attention. I think the issue is after the gay bar scene, which is pretty upsetting because it's very it's like... It's very upsetting, yeah. It's very homophobic. Well, just, I'd also add this is probably a queer exploitation film. After that, it just gets kind of like these bad guys are kind of laughable and also seem a, a little... I mean, some of the bad guys seem a little quite, you know, their sexuality seems questionable. Well, maybe that's the, how, maybe it's a, a, a deep dive into subversity because. Sure, uh, but the acting is not at a level that I can take it seriously. Right. And I then agree. the action in the house to me was just like, it's all kind of jumbled. I'm not sure what all these young people are doing in this house, but. Well, the, there's this couple that helped the, uh, the young queer man that runs into them for assistance. Da is it Daniel? Um, and they are. <laughs> watching these two blind guys well here you took the time to make notes so why don't you go through your notes and say what you need to say oh well, it was directed by a uh, filmmaking team paul donovan and maura o'connell um 
who never directed anything together after that. I was looking at Paul Donovan. He directed this TV movie with Richard Grieco in 1993 called Tomcat, Dangerous Desires. The, <laughs> the poster for that is something else. Um, I really like, the lead basically is Tom Nardini uh, uh, playing Horatio and Barbara played by Brenda Bazinet. And they're the, they're the straight couple that helped this gay guy. Um, Tom Nardini was notable, kind of. Uh, he's in a, one of my favorite Jane Fonda movies called Cat Blue. I, I did really like him on screen. Uh, but basically there's this crawl space from the, in the bathroom mirror that these two apartments share that kind of helped them defeat these bad guys trying to get this guy. Okay. Um, yes, it, it, it does hit a, very early on a, a kind of monotony. Um, mm -hmm. and, they, and, you know, they don't have really... But if you like exploitation films, I think there's a lot to offer here. Um, initially, it reminded me of these people stuck in this bar of uh, albino alligator... <laughs> Mm. with Faye Dunaway. Um, but oh, really, that's right. But really, I think this is aping um, Straw Dogs, of course, Peck and Paw, and Carpenter's Assault on uh, Precinct 13, uh, the original, uh, specifically with that synth uh, score that's very heavy in the film as well. Uh, but if you like it, if any of those things sound good to you, uh, definitely watch it. it it's based, it's, it's set on a specific day in 1981 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, when uh, the police force went on strike. And that was a real thing, and it lasted for 53 days. And notably, this, is th this film has the only existing footage from that strike. Oh. Well, um, I only have one note about this movie, and it's in the opening scene where these gentlemen um, in the gay bar are being attacked by these bad guys. And... It was very upsetting because of the language that was used and the violence, but also um, these these gay guys and lesbians, I think, I don't recall a woman being shot, but, yep, they're, they're, but they're, they're executed. There's a couple. Oh, there are. Okay, so uh, there are several gay and lesbian characters who are executed by being shot at close range through a pillow in the back of the head. Mm -hmm. And that was very, like, <laughs> that was a lot to process. Yeah. Um, what would you give this film? And they did that because they killed one of the... The bartender gets killed accidentally. And they the leader of this gang decides, like, we have to get rid of all the witnesses. The witnesses. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan of exploitation cinema. It is a bit one note, but, um, you know, in a, in a time where there was very little representation. And I think there is power in seeing um, allyship and a, a gay man fighting back. It's also important to know, in case anyone wants to look up this film, Siege, which is the 1983 film, um, I think the title, the more common title for this film is Self-Defense, mm -hmm. so you might find it under that. But moving on with the, um, the gay theme, so we received several comments about the stand-up comedy special of Jared Carmichael. It's pronounced Gerard. Gerard, sorry Gerard, Gerard Carmichael. Um, and people wanting to know what we thought about him coming out as gay. So in the special, it's supposed to kind of be like, uh, like a big reveal. But since that was already ruined for us, we went in knowing that he's going to say he's gay. I was not familiar with him until I looked him up and realized that the Carmichael show is him. <laughs> yeah, I also rec I remember him from The Meddler, uh, the Lorene Scafaria film starring Susan Sarandon. Um, he plays twins in that. And then he also he also pops up in The Disaster Artist. So we have like 20 minutes. I only have a few notes. Um, 
I thought the special was really good. It's in the vein of it almost it almost felt like if you mixed Richard Pryor with Bill Cosby. Sort of the vulnerability and sure. the candid nature of Richard Pryor with the impeccable storytelling story skills of Bill Cosby. So I thought that was excellent. And then I related to a lot of what he was saying. But he starts the um, special talking about secrets. Mm -hmm. And then relays a story about him catching his dad cheating. And I really related to that because I caught my dad cheating on my mom. Which snowballed into this huge thing. And he talks about in his special that he felt... A lot of responsibility because at the like at there's a point when because he relays the full story of how many years later he confronted his dad because he not, no one ever really acknowledged to the mother that this is what was happening so many years later it happens and he says that he felt a lot of like guilt and responsibility because if it were not for him bringing this up maybe she would have been ignorance is bliss correct and I felt the same way. I remember I was in junior high, uh, or maybe like ninth grade, and there were a lot of weird things happening with my dad. Like he had stopped working, like he quit the job he had, but then I'm not gonna tell the full story of all the details, but it was just like a lot of weird things were happening. He had quit his job, but then all of a sudden we had a lot, more nicer things, nicer cars, like nice clothes. It was weird. Come to find out he was seeing this woman, but who was giving him money. But me catching him was two things. One, you know, I know cars very well since mm -hmm. I was a kid. My uncle who has long since passed, rest in peace. He uh, was the one who introduced me to my love of cars. So I had subscriptions to every car magazine as a young kid. So one day I'm driving with my mom and I see my dad drive by in a car. And I tell my mom like, oh, I saw dad driving by. And she's like, that's not possible. He's out of town working. Like, mm -hmm. why would he be up the street? So of course, um, the next day when he had come home, of course, my mom said, <clears throat> excuse me, like, Joseph said he saw you and my dad like blew up on me like violently <laughs> like that I'm lying why would I say that and I'm like but the gag was I didn't I told my mom because she said what was he wearing and my dad used to wear those you know those 90s like runners like where like the jogging pants and jogging like zip up mm -hmm. that were like bright colors mm -hmm. he would wear those and he had one on that was like kind of colorful color. So I said, oh, he was wearing that red, blue and gray runner. Mm -hmm. And then he was driving like, and I gave the make model color of the car. Mm -hmm. And my dad was so upset, but my mom didn't give my dad that information mm -hmm. the, uh, about the, uh, the, the, what he was wearing in the car. She didn't release that to the media. No, but the runner he was wearing was not one she was familiar with. And he was wearing that when he came home. Mm. So she was like, hmm, okay, all right. Then we were, there was a gas station by our house. 
And there was a woman who worked there and she was very friendly with me. She was a very young woman, like 19, mm-hmm. very friendly with me. And she would talk to me all the time and give me like free stuff. Cause you know, gas back then was super cheap, but I still didn't have a lot of money. So I would like go put gas in my car and then go buy like a soda or a cookie. And she would always give me everything except the gas for free. Mm-hmm. So of course I thought like, oh, she's great. And then we started getting calls at the house from someone asking for my dad. And I'm like, the lady who calls sounds like the lady who works at the gas station. Mm -hmm. And I would say that all the time, like the lady who's calling. Anyway, a lot of things were happening and I did sort of like tell them to my mom, but then I would get shot down. And then finally my mom decided to hire a private investigator and then that's how she knew. And then it snowballed into this fucking dramatic situation. But I always think like, for a very long time, I used to think like, if I would have just kept my mouth shut, would, how would things have, cause our lives were upended mm-hmm. because I said this thing that caused my mom to sort of look into other things. So that really resonated with me. Um, yeah, but it, it, you know, it was a deal breaker for her. It probably would have come out some other way. Yeah, but it was such a long, drawn-out thing. And it was at such an interesting time because, like, you know, there were three children who were all teenagers. And I don't know, sometimes I wish, like, oh, if things could have been okay until we all graduated high school, would that have been better? Because we ended up... Better for who? We end, well, for everyone, you know, like, because the house we were living in, we had to leave. And then my family ended up moving and, like, out of state, which was disruptive because I ended up staying and living in a different state and everyone else moved as a teenager in high school. Mm-hmm. But so him talking about like the secrets and feeling like he could never say anything. And then now that he's in his thirties, early thirties and, and coming out as gay and I, it was very moving. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very moving and it felt like so strangely organic and authentic in a way that I, I feel like you just don't see anymore either. And, you know, sure. I mean, I'm sure there are audience members that were there that paid for tickets that felt bamboozled um, because... Because it's, it's not joke, 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 joke. No, there are laughs to be had, and he's very good at releasing tension uh, as necessary. Uh, but, it, but it is really a confessional, and I really liked how the audience went with him and was corresponding with him. Um, cause he said a lot of things that resonated with me as well. Uh, you know, especially having a mother that reacted kind of coldly, uh, in, in a way that no reaction is the worst reaction. Well, so he shares that, you know, as much as he loves his mom and she's a very religious woman. And then she has said to him after he has come out to her that she doesn't want to go against Jesus and that upset him. And then he sort of went on about how he doesn't know how to deal with that and wishes that she would come around and what if she doesn't. And then an audience member says, why don't you give her some time? You've had all this time to figure yourself out and then you expect her to. And we talked about this yesterday. And yes, the time that Gerard had to process his sexuality and come out at his own speed is a different situation from the time his mother needs to accept him in her way. I understand that, but I also think like, well, it shouldn't take as long. And also, you know, I, I think I had, the, you know, what also resonated is that with my own parents, like 
you're going to say you had no idea? You had well, no idea. my viewpoint on this is different from yours because I do feel like... I do think we expect a lot from people. I think you see... Like, he, he acknowledges that. No, he does. But I think a lot of queer people and trans people, you know, people who... Um, you know, in dealing with their sexuality and gender identity, I think especially in 2022, many people feel like you have to understand me now. You have to get get it right right now. And maybe because I'm older, I just think like, you no. know, the fact that someone sees me and is attempting to respect me in their own way, to me, that's good enough. Just because maybe you don't call my husband the word that I want you to call him, or maybe because you can't use they them pronouns properly doesn't mean that you don't respect me or see me as a person it's just a huge ask for someone who has never had that on their radar and i think it's really easy for people whose entire lives revolve around their sexuality and their gender identity who constantly think about this thing to be on top of it but for someone who's like you know for some black christian mama living in north carolina like his she was never, that wasn't on her checklist of things to, you know, brush up on. Sure. So then when your fucking 34-year-old son tells you I'm gay, it's like, you just rocked my world. You had a, a popular television show on, an, on a network television show where you portrayed yourself in a certain way. And you've had girlfriends and you've said all the things. So even, so for someone like you, yes, I agree. Like, how could you not know? But then it's like, I don't know. Like, you painted this picture for me. But I do agree with you. Because what's that one... Oh, that show I watched that you got upset because I watched it without you. Um, it's a sin. But then you ultimately did watch it, and I watched it again. Mm -hmm. But remember the scene where there's a mother in the hospital because all these young men are dying of AIDS in the 80s yeah. in mm -hmm. London. Late 80s. And there's a mother who's in there like upset mm -hmm. it's like one of the main characters mothers is upset because her son is in the hospital no one told her and she wants answers and there's another mother in the hospital dealing with the same thing except it's very clear that this mother accepted her son was gay and this mother confronts the other one like how could you not know mm -hmm. like what kind of mother are you so i don't know as someone who doesn't have children i feel weird saying like how could you not know because i don't know the feeling of having a child but I agree with you that it seems odd that if your job is to protect me and you raise me and you're supposed to know everything, like you're supposed to try as hard as you can to understand me, how could something as big as my sexuality or my gender identity hit you like a ton of bricks? Mm -hmm. Like how could you not least have prepared yourself for, you know? Yeah. Maybe yeah. my son is a flaming homosexual, but... That was very interesting to hear. And I, I think it also highlights how important it is for someone like him to come out like this. I think it's important to see. I, you, you know, we lost a whole generation of, of men. And, you know, there are certain parts of our communities that where it's a lot harder to come out. And, I don't, like, to me it felt, you know, kind of... It was a choice. It was pretty brave of him, I think. He did say something that also resonated with me. He said that the black women, that he's so thankful to the black women in his life who have held him up and made him feel um, supported. And I think it is such an interesting, 
you know, I identify as being black, although I grew up in a Mexican environment. Like mm-hmm. all of the, the family that I was raised around are all Mexican, but I identify more as being black, just culturally and the way I look and the way people treat me. And but I, I do, and I've often said I think that. I, I think I've said on the podcast before one time that I think that like the only, like the, the future is going to rely on like a black woman. Mm-hmm. Like, so <laughs> it's going to have to be a black woman to get this shit together because I just think like there's a strength and an understanding and an ability to sort of like get into the weeds and, and pass through. And I think sometimes we, what he said about his mom and the audience member saying, why can't you give her some time is like, this woman has so much to deal with mm-hmm. because then he tells a story about how the dad cheated on her and had an entire family with mm-hmm. other kids. And it's like, this woman has had to raise two children, deal with a philandering husband who has another family, her own personal shit that he didn't even talk about. And then now when she's probably in her late sixties, early seventies, now this boy wants to tell me he's a faggot. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, and I love my kid and I just think it's like, yeah, when the audience member, because many members of the audience were black, I felt that, like, you know your mom loves you. Mm-hmm. And you know that yeah. black mamas be on some religious stuff that maybe, I know you're not religious, I'm not either. I, I have more of a, a, a sort of a tolerance for it because I do think that for many people it's kind of like, it seems contradictory, but I think there are people who can juggle those things and it's almost like a comfort to them like this is the thing i was raised on and i'm not going to question it because believing in that's not going to hurt anything right i've had a lot of people tell me that that it's like just in case yeah but see that that's the problem with things that we use to cope that at one point they they help us survive their defense mechanism but they're also anchors that keep us down as we, yeah, but as as we mature and know better you're right but i think as a person who just needs this individual to support me and respect me and love me. It's not my job to question what tools you're using to make sense of this life you have. And so, yes, I do agree that it doesn't, it isn't always sensical and it's contradictory. And some of those beliefs are used to hurt people in a tremendous way. But it's like for many of these parents who are in similar situations, who say things when their children come out as gay, queer, trans, non-binary, what have you is like yes it's a response you know you always um point out that i get upset because you didn't react the way i wanted you to Mm -hmm. and that's not fair because Mm -hmm. it's like i'm setting you up for failure like Mm -hmm. how the fuck are you supposed to know Mm -hmm. how i envisioned your reaction to me and i think that's the same thing like yes but I, i what i got from him that he was kind of torn up about is he's a lot like his mom in that he knows her behavior and he knows that her ability to, you know, cut people out. And she knows what that behavior looks like because he's seen her do it to others. And now she's doing it to him and how much that hurts. Mm-hmm. And I can see that, like, in many people I know, in their families, like, you know, everything's cordial and blah, blah, blah. But they don't really want to hear about your your boyfriend or your partner mm-hmm. or you know that they're not really involved in your life and so it's almost like you have to leave behind your loved ones to create new families who actually do understand you and that's hard and i could see that that's probably what he was alluding to is that 
because he does say that that at certain at some point like he's gonna have to break away and just accept the fact that she's not gonna be what she he needs her to be but right but and i think you know the importance of this also is you you can be any age and decide to be yourself but it does get harder the the further along down the road of your life you are yeah because it's harder to extricate yourself from those situations as, as instead of like a, a teenager that's kicked out of their house for being gay it's like well i have no other option but to survive and this is what i'm gonna do yeah uh, is find another family network but we're running out of time i would recommend it so the specials on hbo max it's called uh, Gerard Carmichael Rothaniel. Rothaniel is a reference to his action because he starts out the special saying about lies and secrets and mm -hmm. he's like I have a secret my name is not Gerard it, that's my middle name mm -hmm. my first name is a combination of two names and then he does this long bit for the entire special where he won't say his name mm -hmm. and then at the end he says my name is Rothaniel. which you know I've heard worse <laughs> yeah so I, so I would definitely recommend it it's less than an hour it's excellent um, I liked but, it a lot uh, with the few minutes left we have, uh, I know you received a record. Did you want to talk about that? From Morrison Shire? Yeah. Yep, I read a... Was that last week? I don't remember. You know, I don't know. Um, was that last... My uh, memory's so bad. She, she had also sent me um, her book. A poetry. Uh, a book. A bo and I'd read uh, Bless the Moon out, out loud from that. And uh, there's also a record of her reading out loud her own poetry. Um, I don't have a record player. <laughs> I know. But a friend, a very good friend of yours. Who's visiting this weekend. Yes. Um, who is an English teacher. Mm -hmm. In Minnesota. He uh, gave some of his students like a project where they had to report on different writers, authors. And he had said that several of his students. To perform in uh, a piece in front of the class. Several of his students selected her. Yeah. Which is so funny. I know. So he, and he loves records as well. So he was excited to have that. Yes. Um, yeah. But I mean, again, what, uh, I, it, you know, it's very flattering, uh, to have her send those things and there are no words to, I think, convey how flattered I am, but, um, very impressive and definitely I, I recommend if you like poetry, um, she's an excellent writer. Uh, what do you want to end on? We have a busy week. We, uh, <laughs> Yes, we do. Um, I feel a little overwhelmed. We're going to see a movie tonight. We're going to see a movie tomorrow. And um, and then on Wednesday... Th Thursday. Well, wait. So we're seeing a movie tonight, a movie tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then on Wednesday, we're going to a party where and John Cameron Mitchell is like doing bingo. Yeah. And then what are we doing Thursday? Thursday is the Nicolas Cage. Oh, God. And then I'm seeing the Northman Friday. Oh, God. <laughs> So, There's yes. so much happening. But tonight you get to see everything everywhere all at once, which I'm very excited to see what you think. I'm sure I'll like it. Oh, it's since everyone loves it. Uh, and your description of it made it sound appealing. Well, you'll be my interpretation of your description mm -hmm. made it sound appealing. Yeah, and tomorrow's ambulance. Do you have a closing quote? I don't because um, I, I'm finishing the Silent Twins today, so... Well, I'll leave us with a quote from Janet Jackson. Oh, God. In complete darkness, we are all the same. It is only our knowledge and wisdom that separates us. Don't let your eyes deceive you. Oh, and I, I'll add to that power to the people. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>